This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. We have family game night at our house. Maybe some of you have family game night. Maybe some of you have learned that that's a bad idea. We enjoy getting together to play games together as a family. Uh, we have historically said that we play games for three reasons. Uh, we play games to have fun. Sometimes we do that one. Sometimes we don't have the fun part. We uh, play games to be a family. We play games to learn about ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And we'll play lots of different kinds. I uh, love to play board games. Hate playing Clue. Do not like playing Clue. If you're a fan of Clue, you can leave. <laughs> um, I have been known at times to maybe make false guesses so I can get out of playing. Um, it's Mr. Chicken in the basement with the pitchfork. <laughs> what? There's no Mr. Chicken? <laughs> I guess I lose. <laughs> I like to play cards. We were playing cards last night. Uh, my, my wife's parents are here, and my wife was beating us round after round after round, um, and she was loving it. Um, we do like to play some cards, different kinds of card games. And there's another game that we play. Uh, the boys don't like it. I love it because we have to work together to play it. It's not us versus each other. It's all of us together trying to win the game. Save villagers in the town from the monsters. Um, in the beginning, it was World War III. Because you try to help each other. Because we all win as one. All as one. So we want to encourage everyone to make the right decision. When it's your turn, well, you should do this and this and this and this. No, 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 no. You should do this and this and this and this. So we had to institute some rules. Listen, when it's your turn, you don't have to ask anyone's opinion. It's your turn. Now, if you have something to share, you can raise your hand and you can wait to be called upon. Okay? And so you'd make a move, and sure enough, you might hear underneath someone's voice, well, that's a stupid move. I never would have done that. But still, we're learning to love each other and care for each other, and it's hard. It was my wife who said that. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But we have to work together so that we can excel, so that we can win the game. There are some moves that are better than other moves. There's some decisions that are better than other decisions. Some decisions will win victory. Some decisions will bring defeat. Life's like that. The Apostle Paul said that. He says there's a way that's best. In fact, there's a way that's a billion times better than anything else. There's something worth pursuing that is greater than anything else that you could pursue. It says pursue a life of agape or God-like love. Being devoted to the neighbor. Don't give yourself over to being consumed with self. Doing things your way. What you want for you. The Apostle Paul says the best way. Is to live a life devoted to others. To do anything else is empty. It's empty words. It's empty decisions. It's empty ministry. And you get to the end and you have nothing. You have nothing. To learn to live a life 
of God-like love. What, we say, what we're saying in this is just stepping into the flow, the flow of God's love to me, through me, for others. God who is love and is the source of all love. How can I keep focused on God, a sincere faith? How can I live a life of purity, a pure heart, so that God's love can flow through and a good, healthy conscience whereby I can reach others as far as they might be from me, as different as they might be from me? Serving, loving, caring for others. And then we begin to unpack in 1 Corinthians 13. What are the actions that are associated with this type of love? Where it's like waiting patiently. When you see someone waiting patiently for others, that's God-like love. When you see someone showing kindness, that's, that's God-like love. Someone who's not showing rudeness. Now, patience and kindness open up the flow of God to others. But there are things that kink the hose. Kink the hose. Things that make it difficult for love to pass through. We're going to look at three of those words today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to get into verse 4. Before we do that, I'm going to read us through where we've been. Just as a reminder, Ryan will have the verses up on the screen so that you can follow along. If you're watching online, you can follow along that way too. But let's find 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to bring us in from a sentence that happens just before that. Just before that. 1 Corinthians 13, you be ready, we're going to land in verse 4, but let me get it there. Let me get us there. He has this to say at the end of 12. He says, I want to show you a more excellent way. A way that's a billion times better is what we said. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not devotion to others, or love here, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can remove mountains, but I'm not devoted to others, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I'm not devoted to the neighbor, the other, I gain nothing. This type of devotion, it, it's patient. It's kind than where we are today. This devotion does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Let's look at those three words today of envy and boasting and arrogant and see how they can kink the flow of God's love through us to others. Because this is a dry and thirsty land. Mo helped us read that passage before we came here. It's a dry and thirsty land. Hungering, longing for love. And there's things that we can do that kink that and keep that. So if love is going to flow through us, we must not, for the sake of our families and our ministries, for the sake of our marriages and our coworkers, we must not burn with envy. Let's write that down together in your notes. Burn with envy. Remember, these are all action words. These are all things. If you see this action, it's describing this type of life. And if you see someone who's burning with envy, that is not someone who is loving others the way that God does. What is envy? Well, it really it is the opposite of this type of love. Agape, love, to be devoted to somebody else. Envy is wanting to destroy somebody else. 
And I know there's a bunch of words that often get associated with envy. Um, Jealousy. Sometimes we throw those words back and forth like they're the same thing. To be jealous means I have something and I want to protect it. I don't want anything to happen to it. I'm jealous for my wife. I don't want anything to happen to my wife. I want to hold her, nurture her, care for her. The Old Testament talks about God being jealous for his children. Or the word covet. Covet, not like envy. Covet's when I want a thing that I don't have. There's a thing and I want it and I don't have it. That's coveting. Uh, When we get to the fall and we go through the Ten Commandments, uh, Doug, I think, is speaking. Are you, aren't you, is that the one that you picked? Was coveting it? That one's also bad. Yeah. But, well, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about coveting because that's, that's bad. That's when there's something that I don't have and I want it. But to envy something, envy someone, is I get bitter because I think you have better. I get bitter towards you because I think you have it better. That makes sense. It's not just that I want the thing. I want you to be destroyed in the process. It's a comparing game. It's a game of comparison that ends in your destruction. There was an American, there was an Englishman, and there was a Russian. They walk into a bar. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. But let's just illustrate. There's an American, there's an Englishman, there's a Russian. The American uh, said... to the genie because the genie popped up because the genie always pops up. Hey, my neighbor has a car. I like that car. Can I have one of those cars? But theirs is blue. I would like a black one. Black one with nice chrome and the XM radio. I don't want to have to pay for it. Can I get it for free? Is that jealousy? Is that envy? Is that coveting? That's coveting, right? They have a thing and I want it. They have a thing and I want it. Englishman says, oh, my neighbor, he has a cottage and I would like his cottage. But I want my cottage to be by the ocean and not by the river. And I'd like to have a white picket fence and two bathrooms instead of one. May I have a cottage, please? Is that jealousy? Is that coveting or is that envy? That's coveting, right? He wants his neighbor's cottage. The Russian has a neighbor. I don't know why the Russian's always the bad guy in these jokes, but the Russian is. And the Russian has a neighbor and the neighbor has a cow and the cow gives up award-winning milk for cream and butter and cheese. And it goes to the farmer's market and it's always that neighbor who's always selling out of the butter and the cream and the cheese because that cow you know, produces the best milk. And they go to the fairs and it's a blue ribbon winning cow that produces the best cream and the best milk and the best cheese. And the Russian, the genius says, the Russian, what do you want? I want that cow dead. That's envy, isn't it? I get bitter because I think you have better. I look at what you post on Facebook and I hope you get sick. I look at what you post on Facebook and I hope you lose your job. I perceive that you have a better life, a better house, a better whatever it might be. And and I find out that some evil has befallen you. And I'm like, good, they're a jerk. I get bitter because you have better. Isn't that the opposite of God-like love? Can't you see how that might kink up the hose? You want a biblical example? Look at Genesis. Okay. Jacob has a bunch of sons. To one, he gives a coat. Here's a special coat for Joseph. 
the brothers get torqued off at the demonstration of the father's love to that particular son. And then they, it says that the brothers hated Joseph because of the coat. So much so that they put him in a pit, fake his death, and sell him off into slavery. That's envy. That's envy. Kinking the hose, limiting the capacity for God to do something through you to others. Why? Because you want something bad to happen to them. Something bad to happen to them. You burn. It burns inside of you. It consumes you from the inside out. It is self-destruction. It is a comparative game that always ends in a loss. Even when you win, you lose. But if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 13, where we are, the Apostle Paul bookends that chapter with a command to burn, but to burn with something else, zeal. He says, earnestly desire the spiritual things. Earnestly desire to grow in your capacity to serve others. Burn, by all means burn, but burn in such a way that you grow to be better. How can I care for them better? How can I love them better? How can I serve them better? How can I increase up the flow in my own life? That's how he bookends 1 Corinthians 13. Let me ask you, is this a struggle for you? Do you get bitter when you see that others have it better? Yeah, I'm good. Others have a problem with that, but not me. I'm fine. All right, well, let's talk about a couple others. The flow, we must not burn with envy. Secondly, we must not steal the spotlight. Don't steal the spotlight from others. Or in your translations, the words boast. Boast. To take the spotlight from someone. To parade yourself around. Also against the flow. When I was in high school, I was in theater class. And they talk about what it means to upstage somebody. If you're on the stage and there's dialogue that's going on, the audience's attention is to be on that person. And it's your job to not upstage them, not to take the audience's attention off of them and draw it upon yourself to steal the spotlight. To parade yourself around in front of others so that you are seen and you are noticed in how we post, in how we speak, in how we dress, in how we complain you ever notice sometimes we complain in such a way that we'll get attention? We'll complain in such a way that we'll get noticed or that people's view of us will be higher than somebody else. We'll complain about that person so that we can feel better. We don't want to parade ourselves around. Paul has so much to say about this to this church in particular because they would parade their faith around. And how they would manifest themselves and show themselves off. Which is odd because Jesus, the one to whom we are chasing after and the one whom we want to be like, specifically says, do not demonstrate your faith out in such a way to be noticed. The entire middle section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' whole treatise on his kingdom, a third of it is dedicated to living out your faith in such a way that it's not about you getting attention. 
And then he lists three specific disciplines. He says, when you're giving, are you giving in such a way that you'll be noticed? It was a whole lot easier, you know, back in the Old Testament times at the temple as people were dumping money in the coffers. The more noise that you could make was a sign that you had given more money. Just don't give in such a way that you'd be noticed. He says, give, you ought to be giving, but don't be giving in such a way that you're going to be noticed. He talks about prayer, the, the prayer that we've studied, the prayer that we say together. He says, don't be praying in such a way as to be noticed. The parading yourself out in front of others and how you maybe raise your hands or don't raise your hands or the posture that you take or the voice that you use. Oh, great heavenly Father, oh, how we seek thy wonderful face. To be noticed by others? Is that how you're praying? Or he talks about when you're fasting. Some of you are like, don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> are you fasting in such a way as to get noticed? Oh, are you okay? Just fasting for the Lord. I've been fasting for 42 minutes. <laughs> for Jesus. Boasting kinks that hose. Because instead of God's love flowing through me to others, I am focused on getting people's attention back upon me. I remember being mindful of this when I was younger in ministry. Uh, a man in the church that I was working at and attending at the time had this story of always upping the story. Upping the story. You would tell him a story, he'd have to up the story. Some of you really know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe you know these people. Maybe, you, maybe they'll post on your page. Maybe it's you. Maybe this is what you do and you just, you know it about yourself. But you would tell him a story. Oh, it's just, it's, I'm completely making all this stuff up. This, I mean, just, just an example. I bought a cow. I bought two cows, you know. I bought a new car. I bought a new car. Oh, I got this interest rate. I got this interest rate. I mean, no matter what it was, he had to up the story. He had to take the spot. Not like you were boasting yourself, but he had to get it back on himself. Oh, my wife just passed away. My wife passed away twice. I mean, whatever it was, he had to up it. He had to up it. He had to take the spotlight and make sure it stayed on him. He had to parade himself around. Love can't flow through a heart like that. It's kinked. How about you? How about you? You post in such a way to get attention? You post in such a way to get noticed? Do you parade yourself around? Love does not burn with envy. Love does not steal the spotlight for itself. A third one. Love does not self-inflate. What Paul says is arrogant, to blow oneself up. Self-inflate. Let's write that one down too. Surefire way to kink the, the hose, the flow of God's love. We talk a lot about inflation right now, right? Cost of lumber, lumber, right? Gas, cost of gasoline, right? It's fun to watch. It's neat. Goes up, goes down, goes up, that's cool. That's a fun game cost of chicken. Like, what's up with that? Where's the chickens at? 
went into Kroger because there's some things that weren't on the list, and which normally means you go into Kroger because you can find them because they just hadn't put them out yet. And my wife's like, we need this and we need this and we need this. There's things that just should be there or aren't there or inflated the cost. It's not like the chicken tastes better. It's not like the gasoline is more efficient. It's not like the lumber is better lumber. Right? It's the cost of it has gone up. Love is not arrogant. I can't be arrogant. I can't self-inflate. I puff up my chest and I stick up my nose at the world because I perceive I am of more importance than you are. Apostle Paul railed on this church on its arrogance. How some people would gather together and keep other people outside the door. Socioeconomic challenges and socioeconomic differences. How people would dress, where people were allowed to sit, who could sit at the table, who had to wait for leftovers. A perceived higher importance and value. We're talking about followers of Jesus. You guys get that, right? We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about, we're talking about pew sitting, Jesus following, him singing followers. We're talking about us. So if all of a sudden we're like, well, I'm not that and I'm not that and I'm not that. Yes. We're not talking about the other side of the political aisle. We're not talking about the other side of the shopping aisle. We're not talking about those others. We're talking about ourselves. The Apostle Paul is railing on us. I have to wrestle with this. If I'm taking the command to love others seriously, do I burn with envy? Do I steal the spotlight from others? Do I self-inflate my own importance like a balloon? We're going to come back to this word in a couple weeks. Filling myself up to be noticed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just a couple chapters before this, he says this in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of the neighbor. It's your job to take care of somebody else. It's interesting because if you go to another letter, if you go to Philippians, that's another church that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to, it's amazingly similar words. It's almost like he plagiarized himself. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others, value others, more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a me culture. This is a me world. And our flow is to go against that current. To love and to be dedicated to others. How do you value people? How did Jesus value people? Think about the people that Jesus chose to hang out with. He always found himself surrounded by the outcasts and the forsaken and the forgotten, the sick and the poor and the ostracized. Those were his people. They did not dress well. They did not smell well. They did not shop right. They did not vote correctly. 
and they would flock to him and he would receive every single one of them. Isn't that amazing? Are you arrogant? Are you arrogant? Let's be kind to ourselves. Not from weird victim issues, but let's be kind for a second. Why do we do these things? Why do we battle with envy? Why do we battle with boasting? And why do we battle with arrogance? Because our hearts long to be known, to be seen, to be recognized. We want to feel like we exist and the world recognizes it. We hunger for relationship because we're made for relationship. There's a thirsting in our soul for love. We're not faulting it. We, let's recognize it. But it's how we go about filling that thirst that turns bad very quickly. Very quickly. L let me illustrate this for a second. Um, Aiden and Lucas, would you guys help me, please? Can be, watch this. This is going to be really funny. Aiden, you want to stay in here? Here, Lucas, you want to stay on this side? You get to be God. All right, so you're going to be God. You just hold that for me, okay? Okay. And you're going to be every man, all right? Okay, so this is us on this side, or maybe this is you here. Imagine a sponge, just for the sake of a metaphor. This is our heart. Dry, out-of-the-package sponge. It longs to suck up the water, right? But if I am so starved for attention and love and nurturing, everyone I go to, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? What's that sponge do? Drains the life out of others, doesn't it? As I battle with envy, as I battle with arrogance, as I battle with rudeness, as I battle with boasting, because of my own heart, the dryness in my own heart, the thirst of my own heart, everyone I go to now, if, if I kept this in here, it'd probably what? Suck up all the water, right? This is my effect. If I don't deal with this, this is the effect that I have on loved ones. This is the effect that I have on coworkers. If I don't get my stuff together, God made me to hunger for others in relationship. But we can destroy others because of how sin perverts and twists our heart and the luxury of the world. But is there another option? What if instead of looking to others to fulfill my needs, he looked at me funny. <laughs> I know, he looked at you funny. <laughs> what if God, who is love and the source of love, what if I learned to receive complete and perfect love from him, from a well that never runs dry? Now, instead of having to take from others, what can I do? What can I do? Right? I can keep going back to that well all day, can't I? 
And the relationship that I have with God, that's my focus and that's, that's where I'm striving for. I'm letting God determine my value and my purpose and my ministry. I'm soaking up God's love so that what can I do? I can give to others in turn, can't I? I don't have to take. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it simply says, we love because he first loved us. My capacity to love exists because of his love flowing to me. So what if I learned to go to the well? I want you to look at another passage. Thank you, guys. Let's look at Isaiah 43. You are handsome young men. <laughs> look at Isaiah 43. I asked my boys, I said, do you guys get embarrassed when I use you guys in illustration? No, we're used to it. <laughs> in Isaiah 43, God, who is always striving to impress upon his children his love and devotion to them, despite the fact that they make really bad choices all the time. In Israel's dire, dire reality that they find himself when the prophet speaks these words, God has this to say. This is Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Oh, just let that wash over you for a second. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Redeemed goes back to the practice of a kinsman redeemer. When you would find yourself in a place of destitution, a place of lacking, a family member would come alongside and give what you could not have, whether it was take, paying your bills, whether it was protecting your land so it didn't fall into the hands of somebody else. Let me take care of that. Let me watch over that. Let me purchase that. Let me make sure that that stays secure so that you stay secure because I don't want you to end up in slavery. God says, I've redeemed you. I've purchased you to myself so that something else won't get a hold of you. I value you because I've called you by name. Nothing really ministers and warms the heart like hearing a loved one call you by name. You know what I'm saying? I remember hearing my dad, Paul, in a way that would warm my heart and my soul. God says, I know you. I know your name. I see you. You're mine. I'm not going to let go of you. I value you. What if we learned to live in that place? What if we learned to immerse ourselves in that, where our value and our purpose and our recognition came from God? where we could feel the spotlight of God's love wash over us. He says, you are the apple of my eye. You I delight in. What if we learn to believe and understand and live that? We could celebrate with others, couldn't we? 
We could sit with others and not feel threatened. We could delight in others. We could walk with others. As our heart is filled up on the love of God. Agape flows from a heart immersed in Jesus. Historically, three disciplines have helped us unkink that hose so that love can flow through from God to others. Three, service, silence, and solitude. I don't want to share those with you this morning as we land this plane. Service, silence, and solitude. If you feel that envy is something that you battle, service should be on your to-do list this week and for a long time. Service in obscurity, if you can find it. Service without recognition. In fact, on the back of your notes, if you flip it over, we're doing a summer challenge. There's a way to press ourselves into this. Here's some ideas of things that you could do in secret, things that you could do in obscurity, things that you could do just to serve someone else, not so the spotlight comes back on you, but so that you can care for the needs of others. You should be actively involved in service. That's what we do. Burning with zeal, not burning with envy. Silence, resisting the spotlight. Don't post about yourself on Facebook. Post about somebody else. Not what bad they've done, (laughs) but how you're thankful for them. Maybe it's a teacher from school. Maybe it's a coworker where you saw doing something. Hold somebody else up. Speak less this week. Post less this week. Sit in a place of silence. You don't need their recognition. You don't need their validation. God knows your name. God has your heart. Learn to practice silence. Go back through your feeds, your social media feeds. How often do you post about you? Solitude. Intentional time alone with God, just to be in his presence, to soak up who he is. Maybe it's meditating on the passage in Isaiah 43. Maybe it's Isaiah 63. Getting alone with him. Letting him speak into your heart and mind. Let him remake you to restore your soul, the psalmist says in Psalm 23. Maybe identify one of these and focus on it. This week. See if we can't together up the flow. With that in mind, I want to read from Isaiah 60, uh, from um, uh, Psalm 63 one more time. Doug and Mo, if you would come up and join me. And maybe these words will have a little bit more, a little bit more context now. Isaiah 63. Just let these words wash over. Or maybe just pray them to yourself. Oh God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I lift up my hands. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.